I'm Colleen, and this podcast is an inside look at recovery, which I define as a lifelong journey to get out of your own way. Recovery is about healing the past, finding meaning in the present, and creating a future that's in alignment with your purpose and values. Join me for mindset upgrades that move you from worry and regret to resilience and confidence. I'll share easy strategies for how to feel better without having to make major changes. Because it's not what you do, it's who you are. Self-care is the path to recovery. Because our needs are not negotiable. So in this episode, I'm going to do a really deep dive into the mechanism, the process for how to change your mind. And while I'm going to focus primarily on how to change your mind about alcohol, specifically how do you go from a person who identifies as a drinker and truly thinks and believes that you love to drink or at least enjoy drinking and want to drink, maybe even need to drink. How do you go from that to a person who identifies as a non-drinker, who doesn't give a crap about alcohol, and who truly loves the fact that you don't drink? Maybe you're proud of it, maybe you just don't care, but how do you change your mind? Because it truly is a mindset. You know, not drinking alcohol doesn't hurt. (laughs) There's no thing in your body where you're suffering from an alcohol deficiency. So when you're suffering because you can't drink, it's all going on in your mind, in your imagination. And so while in this episode, I am going to talk about alcohol in particular, I'm also going to bring in some other examples of little things where I've changed my mind and give you lots of other examples where you have changed your mind because we often think we can't change our mind. You know, we'd like what we like, right? But we don't. We change our minds all the time. And I'm going to dig into that for you very specifically. But I'll just give you a broad, broad brushstrokes of the process. And there's basically three steps to changing your mind. And the first one is that you have to believe that it's possible to change your mind. And I'm going to show you that it is. I'm going to prove it to you. And then the second thing is you have to want to change your mind. You have to realize that the suffering you're enduring, if if it's due to sobriety, sobriety induced suffering, you have to realize that you don't want to suffer and that the answer is not outside of you, that it's not about the alcohol. It's about your beliefs about alcohol because there are people all over the world who don't drink and who have wonderful lives and do not feel you know, deprived. It truly is a mindset where you think that you want to drink. And so you have to want to want to not drink. I can tell you, you don't have to want to change your mind. You just have to want to want to change your mind, if only to alleviate your own suffering. It's fine to have selfish motives here, okay? Then the third step is on the back of your shampoo bottle. It's rinse and repeat. It's just repetition. And I'm going to talk about how, you know, staying focused on the intention to change your mind, then you, you won't feel so, uh, frustrated when you do bump up against phantom thoughts and old 
thought loops that are activated in different situations, you won't feel like that's a sign uh, that you're failing or that you can't do it. So I'm gonna give you the tools to have the resilience to take this practice for the long haul and to really make it work for you in your life, okay? Because even though it doesn't happen overnight, it does happen pretty fast. But also, it's not linear. So you can think something for an extended period of time and think, oh, okay, you know, I'm good. I don't want to drink anymore. And then boom, it comes right back. And you need the tools to realize it's a temporary setback and that your mind actually changes over the course of an hour, a day, a week, all the time. And that's why you have to learn how to manage your mind. You have to understand that nothing stays the same in there very long. And so you just have to look for what you want and cope with what you don't. And that's what I'm going to explain in this episode. So the first thing I want to talk about is, is why managing our mind is so difficult. And that is because as from the time we are very small children, We've been taught to manage our behavior and to suppress our emotions. So we have developed a habit, coping skills, where if we're feeling something that doesn't serve us or that isn't deemed appropriate, that we should deny that, suppress that. And not just to other people, but also ourselves. Because part of our self-identity is being the person that we are projecting, that other people see. And so when we notice that there's feelings and thoughts that don't match who we think we are, we start to feel ashamed. And since we don't like to feel ashamed, we suppress the shame and develop coping skills to cover our shame or whatever else emotions we, it, we don't want to deal with. And that's how we end up with different parts to ourselves. You know, we all reference the inner teenager or the inner two-year-old or the adult that needs to hurry up and get her shit together and, and stop acting, you know, in certain ways. We know that there's different parts to ourselves. And that's why we feel so disintegrated. And we feel like we can't always control ourselves because there's parts of ourselves we're not in connect, we're not connected to. And that's why we talk about, you know, feeling like we're getting away with it if we're drinking a lot and nobody knows that we are drinking or they don't know how much we're drinking. We have this sense that we're getting away with it as though we can't see our own behavior as though we ourselves aren't disappointed or frustrated with that behavior. So it is like we're dealing with two different people inside of us, you know? And, and so we have this inner rebellion because we've de de suppressed the parts of ourselves that, you know, want to take this job and shove it and we have to fight for our right to party. But we know we're not supposed to feel that way or that, that, part of ourselves doesn't gel with the part that we want to be as a good mother or as a you know wife or a, an employee or as a successful businesswoman you know it's so so we end up splintering off different parts of ourselves 
in the effort to suppress the emotions that we don't want to deal with. But what's super cool, the good news here, is that it doesn't hurt to process your emotions. When you have a thought or a feeling come up, instead of denying that it's there, the ultimate mothership of all tools is to just recognize it and allow it to be. You can have a thought that you don't agree with. The problem here is that we've never been taught that we are not our thoughts. So let's talk for just a minute about what thoughts are. Thoughts are our stream of consciousness. Thoughts are language. You know, and think about how a two-year-old doesn't usually suffer from serious anxiety or deep depression. Why is that? Because they don't have the language skills to be telling themselves a story. You know, they get pissed when they can't have what they want, but they quickly move on. It's not till we develop the, the language skills and a sense of identity that we end up with stories about who we are and who we want to be and who we should be and who we're not. And that, that causes us then to fear the thoughts that come into our head that don't align with who we think we are. But the thing is, is you can't control your thoughts. Thoughts come from language. You know, they are ideas, you know, you, you've heard the saying you can't unsee or you can't unthink certain things. You know, once you know something is possible, that's when the thought gets into your brain and then might then drive your behavior. I never knew about bulimia, for example, I wasn't bulimic until I understood that was one of the options. I remember going to AA meetings and listening to people talk and some old timer saying, you got to get all the vanilla extract out of your house because an alcoholic will drink anything. And I was like, I didn't know vanilla extract had alcohol in it. You know, I didn't really make the connection that mouthwash had alcohol in it, even though we know, you know, homeless alcoholics, they're drinking mouthwash. Like I never put those things together. So thoughts come from the external world. It's shit you see on TV. It's shit you hear from kids at school. It's stuff your parents told you. It's stuff your teachers taught you, your religious leaders, your role models. All of the ideas, all of the language that you've ever heard can pop into your head at any given time. And here's the amazing good news, bad news. Your thoughts aren't real. They don't exist. Thoughts are electrical impulses of words. They only have meaning when we connect them into our, um, when they get connected into our emotions. So for example, if I told you, think the thought, pink elephants rule the world. And you'd be like, okay. No, I'm like, serious. Like, think that thought three times. Pink elephants rule the world three times. Okay. Well, that doesn't resonate in your body because you don't believe it. You're not putting any meaning into that. But meaning is created in the mind, not the external world. So you can make any thought have meaning, which is why we get people who think that there's secret lizard people or that somehow there's an elite group of Illuminati running the whole entire world. And, 
And so meaning is made in the mind. And the good news is your thoughts aren't real. And the bad news is your thoughts aren't real. Like there is no truth. Truth is just words that you believe. They're true for you because they elicit an emotional reaction. And the emotions are what then integrates our thoughts into our subconscious. So what's the difference between a thought and a belief? A belief is a thought you no longer question because it's been integrated into your subconscious. Your brain automates your thought processes. If you had to rethink and re-examine every single thought, you wouldn't be able to get out of bed. We have to live on assumptions or we would be so overwhelmed with incoming stimuli that we wouldn't be able to function. So that's how the brain automates our thoughts. And then it uses our emotions, which are just the physical sensations of thoughts. You know, you hear my words, words have sound, you smell poop, poop has smell, you taste food, food has taste in your body, your thoughts have emotions. And then because we don't like pain, any thought that creates a negative emotion, an uncomfortable emotion, drives our behavior. So we don't have to rethink all the thoughts. You know, we have 60,000 thoughts running through our head on any given day. We don't have time to pay attention to all of those thoughts. So our body has developed, evolved over millions of years to incorporate emotions. And so we just kind of follow, we, we lean into thing that's, things that feel good and we avoid things that feel bad. That's how emotions work. So when we have thoughts that make us uncomfortable, like this is unfair, you're full of shit, and those thoughts aren't socially appropriate, or they're inconvenient to the unspoken rules that we're following, or the unfair expectations that we've accepted as part of you know, our role in society or our role in our family, um, then we suppress those thoughts because we've become people who are performing our role of, of the projected identity. You know, we're performing the role of the good girl or the bad girl, whichever one, or the perfect mother or the loving wife, or maybe you're the crazy sister or the super wild and crazy aunt or whatever role it is that you identify as. Anything, any thought that comes in that doesn't match that, if you're not actively managing your mind, then you are suppressing your emotions. And when you suppress those emotions, they remain in your subconscious and lead to automatic, habituated patterns of behaviors and behaviors that you feel like you can't control. So the only way to unsuppress your emotions is to bring your emotions into consciousness and to start noticing the sensations in your body and being curious about the sensation. Like, okay, what is it that I'm feeling? Oh, I'm feeling anxious. Why am I feeling anxious? And pausing and taking a hot second to trace that emotion back to some sort of thought. You can spend years in therapy doing this 
It doesn't necessarily lead to change though, but what's really important is that you do start learning how to trace the feelings that you're experiencing into the thoughts. And the reasons then that you might spend years in therapy is perhaps a misguided belief that your thoughts have meaning. You know, the difference between therapy and coaching is that therapy is you're seeking to understand why you feel the way you feel and why you think the way you think. With coaching, we kind of skip that part. I mean, it's interesting if you can figure it out in a few minutes, but ultimately, with coaching, what I aim to do with my clients is to not figure out why you think the way you think, but to figure out how do you want to think and what thoughts are going to get you there and how do you manage the thoughts that aren't working for you, such as, I love to drink, I want to drink, I'm never going to be able to quit drinking. It doesn't really matter why you believe that. It only matters that that's not serving you and you have a desire to no longer think that. So the way to unsuppress your emotions is to start noticing them and honoring them and to not take your thoughts so damn seriously. And that's the big aha moment, to realize your thoughts aren't real and that you can change your mind about anything at any time. And the first thought that you're gonna wanna incorporate, and even though thoughts aren't real, they do feel real inside your body. So you're gonna wanna choose some that serve you. So the first thought that you wanna incorporate is I can change my mind. So that's where the first step in the three that I'm gonna highlight here, the three steps to changing your mind, the first one is to believe that it's possible. So I'm gonna dive into that a little bit by just pointing out that your mind changes on its own all the time, like full circle, back and forth changes. You know, simple little examples are, you know, I wanna eat Mexican, oh, I don't wanna eat Mexican. You know, you don't really notice that you change your mind, but your opinion can change from black to white and back to black in 30 seconds or less, okay? Think about fashion. This is an excellent example of how your mind changes naturally, but the process is a little bit longer so we can tease out the mechanism. So I'm a person who every year the catalogs come out for whatever new season we're in, and I'm like, oh, hell no. Rayon's back? I'm not doing Rayon. Or, oh my God, like I just started rocking my boot cut jeans and low-rise jeans and now everybody's pulling their pants back up over their belly button like a bunch of urkels like i am not doing that you know uh all of a sudden everybody's wearing brown belts and black shoes i'm sorry black belts black shoes people get it together okay so my thoughts about fashion are always a few seasons behind and if you ever see a picture of me you're like yeah i get it where like my sister is always sporting the latest of the new styles. And so I look at her and I'm like, you look like a freaking fool wearing the bell bottoms. And she's like, girl, I will see you next year in a pair of bell bottoms. But what happens, the mechanism for my mind changing is that over time, the more I see a certain fashion, the more normal it looks. So I'm 
being immersed in fashions and all of a sudden like this year everybody's wearing the peasant dresses and i'm like shit i'm not gonna go back to wearing peasant dresses and then by the end of the season i got myself a peasant dress the mechanism is that it's becoming normal in my mind so repetition immersion of whatever thought that that you're going to be adapting whether you're choosing it or not just the more you see it and also the more you see it on people that you admire so when i see celebrities wearing the you know high-waisted jeans and the black and the brown belt or the peasant dress then it just in my brain without my awareness I start to make room that that could be attractive, that that could be beautiful, that I might too want to wear something like that. And another way our minds change, obviously, is if you're doing research or you're looking at information that alters your point of view. You know, so you go to buy a new car and you think you want you know, the Honda, but after looking at safety tests or you know, luxury options, you decide, you know what? No, I do think I want to go with a different brand of car. I want the Toyota, not the Honda. So your mind changes when it's exposed to new information. And when you are given evidence that a current belief is inaccurate or undesirable. So when it comes to changing your mind about alcohol, the more you immerse yourself in people who are talking about the benefits of sobriety and listen to people who you admire. So finding role models of people who have been where you are and have gotten where you want to go. That is a really important part of changing your mind. And then also examining the evidence of alcohol. For me, I changed my mind about alcohol really probably over the course of a few days at the most. And what did it for me was, first of all, I was so hungover. And I don't mean because I had one night of some blackout drinking. The night before I quit drinking was just a normal night. But my my consumption had gotten so high because of my tolerance that I was dealing with a hangover every single day. And I had done that for months. And okay, let's be honest, years, you know, bottles of wine, you know, not one, but two or half a fifth of vodka or that plus wine. I mean, so my body was hurting. Okay, so there was some evidence there. Now, I had been denying it. But then in my first week of sobriety, the first book I read was Holly Whitaker's Quit Like a Woman. And she opened my eyes to how alcohol was affecting my nervous system and that all the stress I was feeling was actually due to alcohol. You know, I'd been afraid to quit drinking because every single day I was in withdrawals from alcohol, which is why I craved more alcohol. But I was under the belief that alcohol was reducing my stress. When I saw for real that alcohol was causing my stress, it was an aha light bulb moment. So changing your mind can occur, you know, incrementally, it can occur in one split moment, but I'm just trying to show you that you, 
your mind does change. And if you believe that it's possible, if only by looking for examples in your life where you've changed your mind, whether back and forth and forth and back, you know, or slowly or all at once, it is possible. So the first thing in order to change your mind about alcohol is for you to believe it's possible. And I often talk about bridge beliefs. So I'll introduce that here. Let's say, even with everything I'm saying, you still don't believe me. And you're like, sounds good for you. Lucky you. I still think that I'm going to want to drink. I, I don't think that I can just flip a switch and become a person that doesn't drink. Okay, fair enough. That is not resonating in your emotional core yet. So you need a bridge belief. A bridge belief is something that you do believe is true and that does resonate. And maybe it conflicts with your thought that I can never give up drinking or that it's going to be hard to give up drinking. If those beliefs are still active for you, then try on a bridge belief such as, well, Colleen drank for 30 years and firmly believed that she would never quit drinking because she was a drinker. It was part of her culture. And that if she did drink, it would be, or did quit drinking, it would be super hard and she would be miserable. And that's why she procrastinated and avoided sobriety for as long as she did. Colleen believed that quitting drinking was hard and also impossible. And she now has no desire to drink alcohol and is proud of the fact that she's sober. So the bridge belief is if Colleen can do it, she ain't got that much on me. Like, I bet I could do it too. Not, I have done it and I do believe it in this moment, but I could do it, okay? So adopting a bridge belief will help you get from point A to point B. If you can't do it, but you can see somebody else did it, then you can adopt that belief. So when it comes in your mind that uh, I could never not love alcohol, then when that emotion comes up for you, that feeling of, oh, fuck, this isn't going to work, hopelessness, resistance, when those feelings come up for you, all you have to do is say, well, it's possible for some people and I'm a people, so it will be possible for me. I just haven't figured it out yet. Something like that. So finding words that go in your brain that resonate in your body, um, you know, a bridge belief, I would describe an analogy where you kind of try on bridge beliefs like shoes. So if I say to you, well, just think the thoughts, I don't want to drink anymore. And you try those shoes on and you're like, nope, I still want to drink. Okay, then that's not the right belief for you. So just playing with it until you get a belief like, well, a lot of people have quit and they love being sober, so it must be possible. If you believe that, even on a scale of one to 10, you're at like a week two, well, that's going to move you in the right direction. Okay. And so the second step in this process is that you have to want to change your mind. And really the only thing you need to want to change your mind is for you to believe me that not drinking is super easy if you don't want to. It's not hard to not step in dog shit because you don't want dog shit on your shoes. It's not hard to not cut yourself with the knife 
when you're chopping your vegetables because it hurts and you don't really want to bleed. It's not hard to not drink the turpentine in the garage because it stinks and also it, it could kill you. Okay, so it wouldn't be hard to not drink alcohol if you believed that you didn't want to drink alcohol because you took the time to delve into the truths about how alcohol was affecting your nervous system and your sleep and your digestive system and your mental health, all of the things. So if you want to change your mind so that not drinking becomes a no-brainer and it becomes automated in your subconscious where you truly believe you don't want to drink, then, you, then you're already there. You do want to change your mind. And I want to circle back here to remind you that your thoughts aren't true. Even the thought, I love to drink, those are just words that came from somewhere and you've repeated them over and over and over. I love to drink, I want to drink, who's up for drinks, when are we drinking? How many thousands of times have you said that, thought that, done that? Okay, so the good news is you don't have to think, I don't want to drink thousands and thousands of times. This process actually can go really quick. Those light bulb moments are exponential quantum leaps. But if you understand that you don't have to take your thoughts so seriously, so when you think the thought, I want to drink, and that, that brings up some emotions for you, again, of resistance or defeat or feeling left out or deprived or whatever it is, if you just remember that that feeling isn't the truth, that feeling is just reflecting a thought that you no longer think, that thought is just an old thought pattern that's running in the background. And when you pull that up into consciousness and examine it, then it no longer has the same power as an unconscious belief wreaking havoc in your body, if that makes sense. You know, we are, we get into this habit because we think we need to suppress our emotions and we've become disintegrated um, in our psyche, we think that negative emotions hurt. We, so we, we're trying to escape our bodies. You know, when we're cramming food down our throats or we're pouring alcohol down our throats or we're running because, you know, we can't deal with our anxiety. Not that running is bad, you know, whatever. Any, anything can be used to suppress your emotions. But when you're doing self-defeating coping mechanisms, for the most part, you're having feelings in your body and you're trying to escape your body. And what you'll find is that um, negative emotions for the most part don't hurt. Now, overwhelming grief, catastrophic trauma, that can be very painful, but it's not any more painful than, you know, breaking a leg or um, paper cuts. You know, I remember Glennon Doyle said those words and I was like, oh, that was a little bit of a light bulb moment. You know, our worst emotions usually don't hurt more than paper cuts. Why are we flinching? You know, if you get out of your mind and stop trying to think your way sane and trying to think your way out of feeling the way you do and just go in and notice the feeling and name the feeling and try to figure out the thought and kind of detach from the thought. Oh, that's just a thought. And then allow the energy of that emotion to dissipate. You'll find that even if it's uncomfortable, it doesn't hurt very bad and it doesn't hurt very long.
And you'll even come to respect the negative feelings because just any pain, whether it's physical or emotional, any pain is just your body's way of getting your attention. You know, so emotional pain is your body's way of saying, hey, we've got some conflicting thoughts down here. I'm going to need you to take a look. You know, we're trying to believe two things at once, like I want to drink and I don't want to drink, and it's not working. There's a lot of interference down here. There's a lot of static. Can you pause in whatever important shit you're doing and pay attention and pick a thought and then, you know, acknowledge the other thought so that it can go away? You know, the more you ignore your thoughts and feelings, the more power they have over you. When you just look at them, you know, get them out of your body, write them down in a journal, whatever. But when you look at them and acknowledge them and remember they're not real, they just have real impact on your emotions. You just can learn how to deal with the energy of the emotions in trying to, instead of trying to figure it all out in your brain. And so this leads to the third step where you do need repetition for your new thoughts, which is why, especially in early sobriety, the more time you spend immersing yourself in the sober mindset and reading Quitlet and listening to podcasts and watching TED Talks on YouTube or talking with other people who are going through the same thing, the more you spend with your brain, choosing to put your brain on the sober mindset, the more this is going to happen on its own. Like I said in before, the more you see and resonate with something, the more your mind changes naturally. So the more you can actively think thoughts like, I love being sober, I love waking up without a hangover. I feel so good without alcohol. I feel so strong. I feel so powerful. The more you can notice that sobriety feels good, the less you're going to ruminate over how not drinking feels bad. So thinking thoughts over and over, repetition, is the way you take new beliefs and they get integrated into your subconscious so that they become automatic. But like I said, this process isn't linear. And that doesn't mean that old pathways are, they don't really ever go away. Although, gosh, they they, they sure kind of do. I mean, I, I really don't ever get caught for long thinking that I might want to drink again. You know, usually it's when I'm surrounded by drinking. Like the last time this happened, I was at a country music concert and I did spend about 20 minutes before I caught myself kind of thinking, well, I wonder if I should have a drink, you know, but it was, it was an old thought pattern. And once I realized I was in it and I didn't have to make it mean anything, I didn't have to make the fact that I thought about drinking mean that I wanted to drink. I didn't want to drink. I actually just kind of wanted to go home, you know, and that's the other thing of getting underneath the belief, I want to drink. No, you don't. You want what the promise of the drink is, which is to feel less stressed, to feel more relaxed to give yourself permission to take your shoes off and breathe or to have fun or decompress or disconnect from your workday or whatever it is. So languaging your true need, when you do hear the thought in your head, I could really use a drink right now. You'd be like, no, 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 I could really use a massage. 
a thousand bucks cash in a bag and somebody to make me dinner. Like that's actually a more true situation. So I just want to encourage you to avoid one of the biggest mistakes I see clients make is that they think that thinking about alcohol or going back to old thought patterns means something. It means that they're weak or that they're going to suffer forever or that they're always going to feel this way. But I just want to remind you that your thoughts about alcohol don't mean anything. You know, they create emotions in your body. That's a true story, but they, they're not truth. Okay. You have a human brain and drinking was a habit for a really long time. So thinking about drinking is completely normal. Nothing has gone wrong. And when it's going to come up for you is in times of stress. You know, the more stressed you are, the less logical you are. The more emotional you feel, the less rational your brain is. So it's not, it's not unheard of when you feel stressed, you know, for the rest of your life, there may be a few moments here and there in times of stress where you think about drinking, but it doesn't have to mean anything. And if you learn how to detach your thoughts and don't take them so seriously and instead ask, why did this come up for me? You know, what is triggering these thoughts and get really specific. Are you tired? Maybe you haven't had any time to yourself. Maybe you've got too much on your plate, you know? So get curious about the thought, let the emotion be there. Don't take it too seriously. So, okay, how do we land this plane? Here's what I recommend. If you really want to change your mind about alcohol, get very clear on a vision of how you want to feel about not drinking. And the first thing that might come up for you is that you're not even sure that you want to stop drinking. And let me tell you, that is the problem. You need to make a decision that you don't want to drink anymore because uncertainty creates stress inside your body. And the more like step one is deciding to not drink. And if you are still ruminating around in your brain as though you have a decision to make, you're never going to progress past that. So you need to decide that you don't want to drink anymore. Now, if your brain is going to freak out because what does it mean to not drink anymore? Does that mean I can't ever drink again? And if you want to silence your brain, my best recommendation there is just pin a time frame. So you know, pick three months, pick six months, pick a year and promise your crazy little brain that you will think about it again at that time, but not until then. So you're going to kick the can down the road. And then by then you'll have more experience with sobriety. You'll have more experience with this technique that I'm, that I'm having, or that I'm explaining to you. And so you'll be able to better deal with that thought when it comes up again. But honestly, changing your mind completely is easiest if you just set that is your goal from the get go, you know, and not putting a time frame on it. I'm going to become a non-drinker. You know, for me, um, I know that I can always change my mind if I, if I am presented with new information and motivated to do so. So my personal statement is not that I'm never going to drink again. My personal statement is that I'm going to remain a non-drinker until new information suggests that reintroducing alcohol into my body would be of benefit. 
So notice that I'm not depending or making future decisions dependent on my thoughts. You know, it would have to be something external like a scientific study or some new source of information or whatever. It's not just my crazy brain waking me up on a Saturday morning and being like, hey, 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 wake up. Remember that movie we saw last night about that woman who didn't drink for 10 years and then she started again and it went great? Like, maybe you should do that again. Like me watching a movie of somebody who started drinking after they didn't drink, not new information. That is a fake story. And I'm not going to give that license to wreak havoc in my brain with crazy thoughts. So for you, make the decision to quit drinking and then again, get very clear on how you want to feel about not drinking. What I recommend you do for this is to sit down and write out how you want to feel in different scenarios, not how you think you will feel. That's a huge no-no. You have to choose between worrying about how you think you'll feel based on your current mindset, which is what you're probably doing right now or what you used to do. You're worrying about how will I feel if I go to the event and somebody offers me a drink or somebody asks me why I don't drink or somebody asks me if I'm ever going to drink again. Okay. In the current, in that mindset, you're worrying about how you'll feel. You have to choose between that and simply focusing on how you'll feel once you adopt a new mindset. This is the game changer folks. Okay. So picture the exact same scenarios that you would worry about and then step outside of yourself. See yourself as a character in a movie or a story. And you know, for me, I like to think of myself as a sober, badass queen rock star. Okay. So even though I may not feel like that in that moment, if I was feeling that way, what thoughts would I be thinking? What words would I be saying? What actions would I be taking? Okay. So for me, one of my favorite ways to show up at a party and somebody's like, what do you want to drink? I don't look meekish and apologetic and, oh, I don't drink. And, oh, I had to quit drinking because I'm an alcoholic. No, if somebody asks me if I want to meet for drinks, I'm like, yeah, where are we going? And then when I get to the bar or wherever we're at and somebody says, what do you want to drink? I'm like, I'll have a soda water with a shot of ginger ale, make it a double. Because alcohol-free drinks still count as drinks and I don't need to apologize for what I want. You know, as a drinker, I used to think that everybody drinks. As a non-drinker, a lot of people don't drink. Like it is not unusual to go somewhere and not have an alcoholic beverage. You know, whether you're a person of faith or of any sort of faith, a lot of people in a lot of religious traditions have never had a drop of alcohol in their life. And they're following around our party bus, having a good time and drinking whatever they drink. Like it's not a big deal to not drink alcohol. So think about the scenarios that are causing you your biggest, you know, you're doing loops around the cul-de-sac of stupidity. How am I going to feel? And I don't know what to say. And just imagine, okay, if I was the rock star, sober, badass, queen, non-drinker, what would I be thinking? How do I want to feel about not drinking? Because I already made the decision that I'm not drinking. And so I can either tuck my tail between my legs and act like I'm, you know, uh, a drinker who doesn't drink, or I can show up with all new moves and an all new attitude. So just to hit the recap button, 
How do you change your mind? Number one, you believe that it's possible. Number two, you want to change your mind and you're willing to, you know, employ techniques and strategies. You're willing to work on it. You're willing to try and fail and try again because you believe that it's possible. So you want to do it. And then the third thing is to repeat, 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 and just stay focused on it. Notice when it's working, notice the situations where it feels harder, and just continue to give yourself what you need to practice staying comfortable with uncomfortable feelings. They're not gonna kill you. And stick with it, keep a positive attitude. It is possible. Changing your mind about alcohol is the easiest way to fall in love with an alcohol-free life. It's the easiest, simplest thing in the world to want to feel better. So good luck with this. Reach out if you have any questions. Thanks for listening. And hey, if this sounds like something you want to pursue as a strategy and you'd like my help in changing your mind about alcohol, sign up for my 10 Days to Spontaneous Sobriety course. I've added a link in the show notes. And whether you need to get sober or whether you're struggling to stay that way, I've got everything that you're going to need to quickly and thoroughly rewire your brain so that you can feel calm, clear, and confident as a non-drinker. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, please take the time to rate and review the show so that other people can find it. I really appreciate it. And check out the show notes for any resources I've mentioned, including links to follow me on Instagram and join my private Facebook group where I connect with my tribe every day. I love it in there and we have so much fun. And finally, if you're ready to redefine sobriety so that you can feel excited about quitting drinking, follow the link to my 10 days to spontaneous sobriety course where I will help you eliminate, eradicate, obliterate, cancel your desire to drink because looking and feeling your best is addictive too. I'll see you soon.